Well, this morning we, we are continuing actually a series uh, from the book of Philippians, um, and we've called it sort of making an attitude adjustment, um, because the truth of the matter is, <clears throat> we probably all need an attitude adjustment, right? We all need, in fact, I probably need one too. I, I apologize to the Orioles uh, for uh, using them as uh, the bunt of my joke. Um, I'm excited that they are doing well. They've got that can-do attitude, right? I mean, I've been here living in Maryland long enough to see the really good starts to the season that have often petered out somewhere along the line, way. Anybody been here longer than me? But, 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 but this season, I mean, it just, I mean, it's just going. And it's not stopping. I keep waiting for it to, to but no, it keeps going. And keeps, right, they've got a can-do attitude. And the truth of the matter is, we all appreciate a can-do attitude, right? That's the kind of employee you want. You want a can-do attitude, right? The guy that's always first in line to get something else done. Um, and, and your children, don't you like the can-do attitude? Like, it's time to clean your room? Absolutely. Uh, is that... No, 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 that's not your experience. I, I don't know. Can-do attitudes. We like them. I like to see it. That's what I want to see in my classes, right? I, what, wait, a paper? I get to write one? I, yes, and not ChatGPT. That's right. Um, so we want can-do attitudes. Um, one of the ones who's been inspiring, right, in, uh, to a lot of, especially the Western world, um, has been Zelensky, right, um, from the Ukraine. Um, President Zelensky, I just, I mean, he's, no, we can do this. I mean, when that war, I mean, I'm just thinking, there's no way Ukraine can stand up against Russia. But they're still going. And you're just kind of like, okay. I mean, now war is horrible. We don't want to glorify it. We don't want to praise it. We don't want to in any way think it's good and asking for God to intervene and move. But I do appreciate a can-do attitude. I appreciate someone who has faith, someone who believes, someone who trusts. Well, this morning, um, I actually want to talk to you about um, something different. I think as Christians sometimes, we need to have a very different, not a can-do attitude, but a shouldn't-do attitude. Wait, what? Yeah, I, I think actually God calls us in many times to have a shouldn't-do attitude. A shouldn't-do attitude. I, I, Okay, the only places we ever see a shouldn't do attitude are maybe on some of those like um, TV shows where people are doing like crazy stunts where they're, you know, driving a motorbike and just trying to jump over a house and they're like, don't try this at your home, you know, uh, it always sort of, those are the shouldn't do's, right? Don't try this at home. But for us, I think there are actually biblical times when we should have a shouldn't do attitude. Um, so let's not try this at home, but let's look at what Paul says in Philippians chapter 2. Beginning with verse 19, it says, I hope, Paul says, in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, that I might be also be cheered when I receive news about you. So the Paul, Apostle Paul wants to send Timothy back to the church at Philippi so that he can be a, to teach them, to help them grow, to help them flourish, but also ultimately to bring news back to the Apostle Paul about how the church is doing. Look at verse 20. I have no one else like him, like Timothy, who will show a genuine interest and concern for your welfare. Because everybody else looks out for their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know that Timothy has proved himself. Because like a son with his father, he has served with me in the work of the gospel. Verse 23, and I hope therefore to send him as soon as I, wait, I hope therefore to send him as soon as I see how things go with me. And I am confident in the Lord that I myself will come soon. Now, when you read that passage, <clears throat> that may have been one of the more moving passages in Scripture that you've read. 
One of the more challenging passages in Scripture that you... One that just cut deep to your soul? Or is this one of those passages that you just kind of gloss over? In fact, as I was reading some of the commentaries this week, um, a lot of the Bible scholars were kind of scratching their head like, what do you do with this passage? What, what, what do you do? Because it's in the Bible. It's part of Paul's letter, but did, did, did you read it with me? I hope I'm going to send Timothy to you. Um, I hope to come soon. I want to be cheered about... We just finished last week the first part of Philippians chapter 2. That incredible passage where he says, look, your attitude should be the same as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, didn't consider equality with God something to be grasped or held onto, but made himself nothing to becoming a servant, taking on the form of a man. He humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has exalted him to the highest place and given Jesus the name that's above every name, that the name of Jesus every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And he goes on to talk about how we therefore shouldn't complain or argue. We are supposed to put others' needs ahead of our own. He said, your attitude should be just like the incredible, in pre-existent, incarnate Son of God who came and gave his life for us. He stepped all the way down. We just step a little bit down as we surf each other. But he stepped all the way down to becoming us. Humbled himself, was obedient, and is now exalted. We just heard this incredible passage of Scripture that pulls our hearts towards eternity, that pulls our hearts towards Jesus and all that he is. And now it seems like Paul takes a break and gives us his travel plans. All of a sudden he switches gears in the middle of it, and like in the middle of this discussion about how we're supposed to live, and actually a lot of commentators think that this is what it is. It's sort of like a little excursus, a little simply just sort of an aside, just sort of a little, oh, by the way. It's like you're having some big debate uh, with a family member over something, and then you're like, oh, by the way, what are we doing for Thanksgiving? <laughs> oh, by the way, it just, it just seems like an aside, just something that it takes a break. Brothers and sisters, we need to realize something. God inspired his word. And while passages like this show that it was definitely written through people who had very much human concerns and it was written on very specific occasions it always has a spiritual and eternal purpose that God has for our hearts and this passage right here has continued to both convict and help me in my journey with Jesus so I want to show you some of the things that I feel like God has been showing me Whenever we come to try to figure out a difficult passage and figure out what's going on, the very first question we need to ask is, what's the context? What was going on? And we need to realize that in this passage, the context is that Paul was in prison, probably in prison in Rome, writing back to some of the churches that he had started uh, uh, along his missionary journeys. The church at Philippi was one of those. The church at Colossae was one of those. Uh, we have some of these other... Uh, what are called the prison epistles. We know this because he mentions his chains and the imprisonment. In chapter 1, a few weeks ago, we saw in verse 13 that Paul says, as a result, it's become clear throughout the whole Praetorian Guard, the palace guard, Rome's official kind of secret police guys, that the Praetorians, um, that the palace guard, and to everybody else that I'm in chains for Christ. So Paul was stuck. He couldn't go anywhere. He couldn't move. He was under house arrest. In fact, most scholars think that he was very much approaching his time of trial before Caesar. So he was, the context was, he was stuck. 
he was in prison. But also we need to realize that the context was that the Philippian church were some of his uh, biggest supporters, biggest supporters. They had in fact sent Paul money again and again to support the missionary journeys. And even while Paul was in prison, the Philippians continued to send financial support and even a man named Epaphroditus to come and to help Paul, to serve Paul, to make sure his needs were met. We see this in chapter 4 when he says this, I have received full payment and more than enough. I'm amply supplied now that I've received from Epaphroditus the gifts that you've sent. They are a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice. They are pleasing to God. Paul was stuck. He was stuck in prison. But that did not mean that Paul was taking a break. That did not mean that Paul wasn't doing the things he was called to do. In fact, throughout his journeys, since Paul couldn't be everywhere, supporting every church, helping every Christian, teaching every place, now we have the internet, so maybe we can. But for Paul, he didn't have the internet. He couldn't have his own YouTube channel. He couldn't have his own, like, vlog or something. Uh, Paul was stuck sending people that studied with him, worked with him, were companions, co-laborers in the gospel. He sent those people. And part of the context is that Paul regularly sent some of his leaders back to these churches to encourage, support, teach, check in with, make sure they were going well. Paul regularly sent leaders. And Timothy, this young companion of Paul, was one of those leaders that he said, hey, I'm sending Timothy over there to check in on you, to see how you're doing. Okay, where do we see that? Chapter 3, verse 2, 1 Thessalonians. Um, Paul says this, We sent Timothy, who is our brother and co-worker in God's service, in spreading the gospel of Christ to strengthen and encourage your faith. Here at the Thessalonian church, Paul specifically sent this young man, Timothy, back there. Go, encourage them, support them, see how they're doing. Paul had only been with them three weeks. The church was birthed after three weeks. And Timothy was sent to kind of fill in a lot of that they still needed to know about following Christ. So what's the context? Paul's in prison. The Philippian church is supporting them. He just said he wanted to send Timothy. Timothy was one of his best companions, assistants, co-workers that could have gone to help the church. That's where we are in this letter. Are, are you excited now? Are you still scratching your head saying, what's the point? Well, here's one of my questions that comes up in this passage. Paul mentions Timothy and says he wants to send him. My big question is, why didn't Paul just send him? He'd done it before. Why didn't Paul just go ahead and send Timothy along? Timothy, go, go, yeah, go. I'm stuck here in prison. I'm not going anywhere. You go, go visit them. Go check in on them. Go encourage them just like you've done before. Why did Paul say, I hope to send him, but actually not right now? That's what it says in verse 23, I in Philippians chapter 2. I hope, therefore, to send him as soon as I see how things go with me. Oh, there is a reason. I hope to send him as soon as I see how th things go with me, and I'm confident in the Lord that I myself will come, come soon. He's confident that he would get out of prison soon. Okay, here's what I came up with. Through some prayers, through some study, and I think God really helped me with this. Number one, he faced a reality. What was the reality? Paul couldn't go. He wants to go. He hopes to go. He hopes to be this apostle and strengthen and help the church. He wants to go, but he couldn't go at that time, even though, let's face facts, if, you could have, if anyone could show up, it would be the apostle Paul, right? 
Okay. <clears throat> if we had an opportunity to have a guest speaker, who are you thinking? Barry. No, Barry preaches all the time. Uh, David. No, no, we got David all the time. If you could have anybody, what, who are you inviting here to be the, the guest speaker, right? If you could go to any sporting event, who do you want to go to see? Well, you know, um, I saw that the Towson football team, I could get free tickets. Uh, is that the game you want to go see or you want to go see the Ravens? I mean, who do you want to go see? I, I, here's what's interesting. Paul would have been the best pick. He could have prayed miraculously. We see all through the book of Acts that Paul miraculously lets Peter, for example, out of prison. The apostles, he lets them out of prison. God is not constrained at all by prison. But the reality was, Paul was like, listen, I, I can't go. This is something that right now, unless God miraculously opens the door, I can't go right now. Now you're thinking, yeah, that, that doesn't seem like a big super insight. Wait, hold on, I will show you why. Number two that I want you to see is, there was the question that I just raised, why shouldn't Timothy go? Since he's the, obviously that second best choice, right? Why shouldn't Timothy go? He's that second best choice. <clears throat> I don't know if you guys are a little panicky about this uh, writers and actors guild strike. That did not disturbing anybody else. You remember what happened last time, right? That's why we have Survivor and The Bachelorette, right? You realize that great evils in the world entered. Okay, 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 they're not great evils in the world. Maybe you like The Bachelorette. Maybe you like... I am not a reality TV guy. I mean, I'm just like, I don't... No, no, I don't want more game shows. I don't want more, you know, uh, you know you're the weakest, weakest link or whatever. I don't want any more of that stuff. But that's what happened last time when we ran out of stuff. Now we have ChatGPT. I don't know if I'm excited about like TV shows and movies and things written by ChatGPT. I'm definitely not excited about my papers being turned in that were written by ChatGPT. If I'm going to have to read a paper, it better be actually written by you because I don't want to read what the computer wrote, right? Even though it might be better. I'm still not interested in what the computer wrote. I know Raj is back there going, it, it's a good thing. I don't know, no, no. Okay. We don't want second best. We don't want chat GBT produced stuff. We don't want reality TV. They didn't want just anybody. They would have wanted Paul. Timothy is the second best choice. They would have wanted Timothy. He could have been really helpful. Look at what Paul says about Timothy. Verse 20, I have no one else like him. That is high praise. We know about Titus. We know about some of these others that Paul sent around. We know about Archippus. We know about these guys that traveled with Paul and, and made a huge impact. But he says, yeah, but out of all of them, I have nobody like Timothy. He is my number two guy. Well, for, for him, number one. He, if it's Paul and then it's Timothy, he was the best. He was the best option. He would have wanted to send him. He says, look, Timothy has proved himself. Because like a son with his father, he served faithfully with me in the work of the gospel. He was right there. He helped out all the time. He's been right there. When I've had struggles, Timothy was there. When we started churches, Timothy was there. When I was preaching, Timothy was there. This letter opens Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus. Now, obviously, it wasn't Timothy writing it. It was Paul, through the Holy Spirit, writing this letter. But it's Paul and Timothy. He's the right guy for the job. He's the one we all want to hire. He's the first choice. Why not just send him? 
Verse 20, I have no one else like him who shows a genuine concern for your welfare. The word genuine here has almost this familial kind of aspect, this idea of he's, it's like, it's like he's the, the heir apparent of the family business. He's come up and, it, and, and, and just like his dad started it, now he's so concerned. A, a, a genuine concern almost doesn't capture the idea that th this is, this is his, his birthright concern. This belongs to him as well as it does to me. He says, for everybody else, just looks out for their own interests. Okay, can, can I take a little aside for a minute? That verse might be the one convicting to you. That one might be convicting to you. Paul's talking to the church and saying that all out of the church, out of he knows, it is most typical that we are looking out for our own interests, right? For some of us, we're kind of stuck in that zone. That's our little prison. Our little prison is, oh gosh, what about my job? What about my current issues? What about you know getting my car fixed? What about my retirement plan? What about my... We're only concerned about our interests and not thinking about the concerns of justice or concerns of things in the world or concerns of our neighbor or somebody else nearby. Some of us are stuck in, in our small world we are only concerned about our own interests. That is not okay. You got to go back to last week's sermon, right? We should be like Christ Jesus, who, in very nature, God. He says in the verse before that, in verse 4, he said, Do not only look out to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. So if you're stuck in only caring about yourself, maybe that verse is for you. The reminder that, guys, we can't be normal. We are called to be the people of God. We are called to be the Timothys. We are called to be the Pauls. We are called to be the little Jesuses. That's what Christian means. So let's be like Christ and putting the concerns of others ahead of ourselves. And so Paul says of Timothy, I've got no one else like him. This guy really cares. This guy puts your interests first. This guy serves others. Um, this is what it said, right, in verse... Uh, if we back up to verse 3 of the same chapter, don't do anything out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. In humility, consider others better than yourselves. Not looking to your own interests, not looking to them, but looking to the interests of others. Brothers and sisters, we got to be those that care about others. If you are growing in Jesus, you care about others. You are caring about the needs. You're putting others before yourself. That's just who we're called to be. Is anybody figuring out where my tension is in this passage? Why all of a sudden I feel like this little passage with Paul's travel plans and Timothy's travel plans is causing me a problem? Do you see why it's causing me some like thinking? Because all of a sudden here's the Apostle Paul who is saying, man, Timothy's like Jesus. He put, all of you need to be like Jesus, putting others ahead of yourself. But did you notice Paul's putting his own needs first? That's what he just said. Look at what it says in this verse. Look at what it says in verse 23. I hope to send him as soon as I see how things go for me. Wait a second, Paul. <laughs> Come on. You've just been saying be inspired by Jesus. Model after Jesus. Give yourselves to others. And now you apparently are making kind of a selfish decision here, Paul. I mean, obviously, you know, you're in prison. You could send Timothy. Epaphroditus is there to take care of your needs. And why are you not just going ahead and sending Timothy? He's definitely, since you can't go, he's definitely the best option. Shouldn't you give somebody 
your best. Anybody with me with this question? And here's what I'm learning. Here's what I'm learning. Paul was actually modeling something else. He was modeling something that he had prayed for the Philippians in the first chapter. Remember this in verse 9? I this is my prayer. This is my prayer. That your love, love putting other people first, love putting God first, that your love would abound more and more in knowledge and insight so that you might discern what is best. Discern what is best. And here's the truth. Sometimes there are good things that you could do but shouldn't do. Now, there are some things you just can't do. And there's some things that you could do and very much should do. But here in this passage, we see modeled for us a reality that at times there are things that you could do but shouldn't do. Paul's prayer is that they would be able to discern what is best. And I believe in this moment, Paul was discerning that it is actually, although Timothy would be a big help to the Philippian church, it was better that Timothy stay with him for at least that next little bit. He hopes to send Timothy soon. He hopes to come soon. But at least for right now, at least in this moment, the better thing was to keep Timothy with him. So here's what I want to say, that there's an alternative. There's an alternative. <clears throat> what we've seen so far is that, flip to this next slide, the alternative. Paul couldn't go at that time, even though he would have been the best choice to be helpful to the church. Timothy shouldn't go, even though he was the next best choice. But here's the alternative. And I feel like God always provides an alternative. Epaphroditus should go. And Paul should write a letter to instruct and encourage the Philippians. In fact, that's the letter we're reading now. In fact, that's the letter that is blessing us today. In fact, that's part of God's word in the New Testament that is continuing to give Christians insight into the nature of who Jesus is. And like I told you last week, that is the most important incarnational passage in the entire New Testament, uh, is seeing that Philippians chapter 2. It is such an encouragement to us as believers today. Paul should write that letter, and he should send Epaphroditus. And you say, wait, wait, Epaphroditus, who is that guy again? Look at verse 25. Let's read on a little bit further in the letter. He says, but I think it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother, my co-worker, and fellow soldier. So this guy isn't like just, you know, just some guy. He's a co-worker. He's a fellow soldier. He's on the team. He's making a difference. He's making a contribution. He says, who is also your messenger, whom you sent to take care of my needs? Oh, wait a second. Epaphroditus was there to help Paul, specifically to take care of some of Paul's needs. As Paul was older, some believe that his eyes were diseased. Others believe that Paul was facing some struggles in prison. But Epaphroditus was the one that was going to be his helper, his assistant, his coworker. Paul's giving up. He is being sacrificial in sending Epaphroditus back. He's saying, I'm sending him back. Why? Well, there's a couple reasons. For he longs for all of you. And that's what it says in verse 6. Some believed it was just homesickness. I don't think so. It says, and is distressed because you heard he was ill. Indeed, he was ill and almost died. But God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but also on me to spare me 
sorrow upon sorrow. Apparently the Philippians had gotten word that, that indeed Epaphroditus had been very, very sick and, and they were concerned about him and Paul's saying, look, I'm going to go ahead and send him back. He's a co-worker. He's a helper. He's been, even though in, I think as he was sick, being trained by Paul, learning more about Jesus, he was ready to be this teacher, to be this helper, and to bring back this letter to them. In verse 28 it says, therefore, I am all the more eager to send him so that when you may see him, you may be glad and I may have less anxiety. So he says in verse 29, welcome him in the Lord with great joy. Honor people like him because he almost died for the work of Christ. He risked his life to make up for the help you yourself could not give me. Epaphroditus was a team player. He was one of Paul's assistants and he ultimately though was being sent back to be a blessing to the church back in Philippi. Guys, I, I agree. This passage, all of a sudden, it just sounds like Paul's travel plans. But what I think is it's something that models one of the most important passages for me. And here's the point. There are things that we just can't do. Things that we just can't do. Th things I wish I could do things that I want to see happen. I want to see revival in Baltimore. I want to see more people come to Jesus. I want to see more students hear about Jesus on our college campuses. I want more. But somehow, I seem to can't get to every campus in a week. I am making it to three. <laughs> I can't get everywhere, though. I want more. There's things we can't do. We can't be in every region of the world. We can't force every door open. We can't, make, we can't do it all on our own. That's why God puts us as a body. That's why we have our missionaries that we support. That's why we work together with other churches. We can't do it all. And so we prayerfully trust God for the things that are beyond us. But I don't really have as much problem with that as I do with these other two. I kind of grew up with the ethic that says, if you can do something, you should. If you can do something, you should. And that's been hard for me to get out of my heart. I, in other words, it's hard to say no. Anybody else feeling that a little bit? That, that, that somehow everything, if there is a need, well, then, and I'm able to meet it, then I should be meeting that need. This passage is showing me that, well, there are things that we could do, but we actually shouldn't do. That there actually, we need to have discernment from God to discern what is best. And what is best might actually be me not doing a particular thing. I had a mentor that tried to get me to learn this, and I, <clears> hmm, <throat> he must have been really frustrated. <laughs> he tried and tried and tried and tried. His name was Tommy. And I'll tell you, I was sitting at, over at Towson University one day. Now, it had been a busy week. And I had forgotten pretty much that Vicky was my wife, I think. I mean, we, it was hard. I mean, we had not seen each other all week. And we finally, we had a dinner on campus, which means I wasn't getting away from campus and she wasn't getting away from campus. But we were able to finally find a dinner time. 
And it was right before Bible study, so we have from five to six, we've got one hour to get this thing done. Um, it's gonna be a nice little dinner. We're gonna eat at Paws. And those of you who know that Paws, like take a pause. No, it's like Paws, like Tiger Paws. But anyway, um, we were gonna pause at Paws. And um, it's not great food, it's not a great atmosphere, but hey, at least we were together. So excited. Right as our food came and we sat down, I got a phone call. It was a student that, that struggled uh, with certain sort of uh, chronic illness, um, and it was a difficult one, and it was hard and hard on her. And she endured so much. When I think of things I have to endure, it, it, then I think of her and I'm thinking, oh, no, 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 no. MS and some of the stuff that you're doing, I mean, oh, this is much more difficult and she keeps this positive attitude and she's serving Jesus and I'm just thinking she's an inspiration okay she called and said hey I'm at the doctors I've gotten there but I can't get home I don't have a way to get back can you swing by and pick me up anybody getting that in their stomach it's like but I really am supposed to be here with my wife, but, you know, she'll understand. She's the wife, and, you know, the wife has to understand, and, and that's just part of what it is to be a spouse. And everybody thinking, oh, no, no, no. Yeah, I know, and I get, oh. and you see the struggle. Okay, and I, you know, I, yes, I, okay, I'll, I'll be there. And I saw the look on my wife's face, just, I'm like, oh. And then, in this moment of maybe Holy Spirit-inspired inspiration, I heard Tommy's voice in the back of my head, the mentor saying to me, now, is this one of the things you could do and should do, or is this one of the things you could do and you're supposed to pass on? To, there's another way to get this done. Is there an alternative? Is there things that you could do but shouldn't do? And be creative. Think of a way to involve others. Could someone else come along? Is this something that only you can do? Is this a need that only you can met or meet? Or is there a way that God has already provided? And you know what? God provided Uber. And I just called back and I said, hey, wait, wait, wait. Here's what I can do. I, I can't actually come. I only have a few minutes. Bible study is starting soon. I don't even know if I can. But here's the deal. I actually had promised my wife, and here's what I need to do. If you'll go ahead and get the Uber, I will pay, pay for it. Be happy to pay for it. Now, this is not the lesson you're supposed to learn. You're not supposed to learn, oh, so anytime I need a ride, just call Mike first, and if he can't do it, he'll just buy an Uber. No, that is not the truth of the scripture. This month. No, 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 no. But what is the truth is that if I just gave it a little bit of thought, it's not to get out of something, but to fulfill the other responsibilities that God has given to me, that there are certain things I need to say no to. Because everything you say yes to, you're saying no to something else. Everything you say yes to means you're saying no to something else. Now, sometimes that's quite all right, because what you're saying no to is reality TV, which isn't going to be any good anyway. Or what you maybe show is to something that's more is selfish or something that you don't really need. But maybe some of the things you're saying no to is Sabbath rest that you actually need. Time with God. 
Maybe you're saying no to some other responsibilities with your family that God has given to you. Maybe you're saying no to other responsibilities at work that God has placed in your life. So anytime we're saying yes to one thing, we're saying no to something else. And we need to make sure that as we say yes, we are saying yes to those things that are putting other needs of others first. We are putting God first. We are putting all of God's given responsibilities first. But we need to pray for discernment so that we know what is best. We need to look at this passage and realize that the Apostle Paul immediately after he spoke about the sacrificial nature of Jesus, how Jesus put us before himself immediately after us, then modeled for us a pattern of saying, okay, there are things I can't do, and I'm going to trust God with those. There are things that I could do, but I shouldn't do, because as I'm discerning what is best, this one I need to be creative about. I need to find another way for. This one I need to pass off. But then, of course, there are all the things that I could do, and they are my God-given things. I should do them. Do you remember the old serenity prayer? Do you remember that one? How does that go again? God grant me the serenity to accept the things I can't change. To have courage to change the things I can. Or I would say, I can and are assigned to. And then finally, the wisdom to know the difference. Maybe there's things like, and maybe even add a line, right? The wisdom to know that there are some things I could do and I can have the courage for, but maybe someone else, that's their responsibility. That's for them. That's, I wonder what Epaphroditus got out of this trip. Sure, he got to go home. Sure, he got to see his friends. Sure, he got to tell the stories of all that he saw God do there in Rome. Sure, he got to tell the stories of all the things that Paul taught him. Sure, he got to deliver that letter and teach through things when they're saying, well, what did he mean by this? What did he mean by this? Epaphroditus got to become the teacher that God was calling him to be. Brothers and sisters, let's pray for the wisdom to know the difference. And I'm going to apply it right now to our church real quick, just short. Here it is. We got deacon nominations coming up. Here's the deal. Some of you should not be deacons or deaconesses, not because you're not qualified, but because there's other things God has given you to do. You've got the other responsibilities, and it's not, well, but gosh, I do kind of want to be a deacon. I mean, I like the whole time. Will they add that to my name tag? Well, not add it to your name tag. Um, I, it's not about title. It's about what are the responsibilities that God has given to you, and let's be faithful in those. The very first calling is a calling to know God, to be part of this, to, to respond to the one who gave himself for you, Jesus Christ who died on the cross for your sins. If you don't know him, then you're not even in the game. Would you say yes to Jesus and say, I'm in. Jesus, you gave everything for, to me. Would you take my life and use it for your glory? Would you say yes and find the forgiveness and life in him? If that's you today, make that decision. I'm going to be here at the front. David Barry will be here. We'll be happy to explain more. You can come and talk to us even now during this last song. For some of you, God is calling you to be here because God has assigned you here. This is a place that you're supposed to serve with God's people. If you're supposed to be in this church, you can respond even now and come forward and we'll be happy to talk to you about being a church member here. Or maybe there's another decision or a question you have feel free to come and respond. But all of us, would you join me in praying, God, help me know what I'm supposed to do and have the courage and strength to do it. Help me know that, that that's not mine, but I'm going to pray and leave that in your hands. Be creative and ask others to maybe join us in that mission.
Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your word today and, and how a passage that, just like this one, can teach us so much about following your son. God, give us wisdom. Give us discernment. In the name of Jesus, amen. The music team is going to lead us. You stand and join us as we sing.